0: Give it up for your senior pastor. Yeah, now nah, Pastor John's been so good to us. We came out here in March, and he just regularly, like more than anybody else. I didn't tell you this, but more than anybody else, he'll just text me and say, "How how are things going? You want to chat?" Or actually, you don't even text. You call. You're like the only guy that calls. And then I answer it, and then by the end of the conversation, I'm feeling encouraged. And so just know this. He said it, but when when you give to this church Mission Grove it goes a portion of it goes to Vision Arizona which is going to go to helping us and many other churches launch Here in the Valley, if they were to give you numbers, uh, we saw some numbers this week at S2 about how many churches are being planted, how many souls are being saved, how many people are getting baptized and putting Jesus at the center of their life. It's crazy. And all of that is impacted in part by your generosity. So thank you guys so much. We're also grateful for the pipe and drape. Some of you in here may have been a part of putting up that pipe and drape for years when you guys were in the set up, tear down phase. Now you're not. And we get to be blessed with that pipe. and drape. So thank you so much uh, for that. And the first I kind of suck to my notes a little more than usual, but today in this service, I want to just really uh, be vulnerable with you and start by asking you guys a question. Because sometimes for me, like, you know, playing a church is hard, right? We're having a blast. It's the most fun thing that I've ever done in my life. Um, but you know the passage in scripture where Jesus sends the disciples out two by two And they're going like from door to door and says, some are going to receive you and then others aren't. And then you got to shake the dust off your feet. I've been doing a lot more dust shaking than I've ever done in my life just because planting a church is difficult. And I love it. um, But so often when you think about people coming in, when you think about uh, resources coming in and all of the things that go with planting a church, you can really easily get to the place where you feel like you're in lack, where you feel scarce, And, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to the blessing of God, but right now it's easy. I think it's a temptation from Satan to get me off my game, but I, I sometimes feel scarce. Anyone in this room feel scarce once in a while? You know, you can be honest. Maybe you never do, and that's cool. If that's the case, come right up here. Chat with me and give me some feedback on how I can never feel scarce again. You know, I've trusted in Jesus, peace of God that surpasses all understanding. It's guarding my heart in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean Satan's not trying to chip at it piece by piece. You know, and so so if you know that, come come hang out with me. But for the most part, we feel scarce. It might not be a perpetual feeling, but we feel it. And on the other end, we, we really want to be blessed by God. We want to see the abundance that Malachi says that he'll provide, that if we trust him specifically in the area of our finances, he'll bust open floodgates and a lavish blessing on us. Now that's finances, but in general, God will lavish his presence on your life as you're faithful to him. And we want to get to that place of abundance, yet we still feel scarce. I mean, let me ask you this, and I need, like, if you're willing, 100% participation. How many of you want to be blessed by God? All right. Now I can't see all the hands, so let's just say it out loud. How many of you want to be blessed by God? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. We all want to be blessed by God. And as we seek God and start to receive that blessing, that doesn't mean there's no difficulty as we receive that blessing. And we find ourselves in a scarce position and more than anything, a scarce mentality. And today I want to talk to you guys, I guess if you were to title this message, I would call it the heart of generosity. The heart of generosity. We're in this series called A Generous Life, and so I want to talk today about the heart. And I think the heart comes from a posture, not of scarcity, but a posture of abundance. And I want to articulate that by giving you guys a passage of scripture. It's in 2 Kings. we will be in chapter 4 today. It'll be on the screen, but if you have your phone or your physical Bible, I would encourage you to join me in opening there. And I'm going to read it for you in a second, um, but let me give you some context. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture, and for years I would say every single week this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. So this is one of my favorite Old Testament passages, more specifically in you know the historical literature, probably my favorite. Old Testament passage. So not not too specific, I guess. But 2 Kings chapter 4, what's happening is Elisha, not Elijah, Elijah came before him, went up in the whirlwind, left his coat for some reason. And then Elisha gets the coat, slaps the water, a bunch of prophets see him. All of a sudden, this dude's got a school of prophets hanging out with him. And then 2 Kings starts to tell us stories about what happened with Elisha the prophet. Now, if you go read commentators and other scholars, they're not going to give you a whole bunch of information because what they have literally is what you have. They have these stories of how God used Elisha to perform miracles and prophesy over the kingdom or to the kingdom of Israel. And so we don't have much information. Literally, we have these stories. But when I look at this particular story that we'll be in today, I get really excited because it gives us at least some sort of revelation about who God is and how he operates through this miracle that Elisha performs. So let me read it for you today, starting in verse 1. It says this, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. I don't know why I went deep voice. It's a woman speaking. Babe, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? <laughs> she just told him, tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing here at all, she said, except a little oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Now, by comparison, I think most of us, if we're honest, would admit that this woman you know, the widow of a prophet who just died, her situation is pretty dire. I think we could all agree in comparison to our situations, whatever that might be, it could be hard, right? Like you might have some family members who were ill or in the hospital and man, my heart goes out to you. And if you let me know about it, we'll be praying for you. That's a hard situation to be in. Um, Many of us have financial situations or hardships that are difficult to be in. Now, that's not easy. I want to empathize with you because all of us have specific scenarios to each of us that are difficult. They might inhibit us from feeling abundant and feeling the blessing of God and put us into a place where we feel scarce and we're self-focused. Some of us have gotten to the place where so many bad things have happened to us uh, that we become self-focused, but the negative to being self-focused for too long is it almost makes us narcissistic. And when we're narcissistic, we are anything but generous. And if we want to develop a generous heart, we've got to shift that, right? And our situations, though hard, I think pale in comparison to what this woman is dealing with. The context here is her husband, who was a prophet, had some debts before he died. And when he died, you have some predatory lenders come into the widow and her two kids trying to take them into debt slavery. Just to give you the the situation. I don't know about you. I've got some bad stuff that has happened to me over the years of living. But I've got two kids now. And though they are sometimes anointed annoyances from God to help me become more patient, I love them to death, and so if I were in this scenario, that, that would stress me out, and this woman is stressed out, and if you were in that situation, you'd be stressed out because the creditors are coming, and they're going to take her kids, and so she's in this place where she's feeling like she can't do anything. She's up against a wall, and there's nothing that she has that is going to enable her to get out of this situation. And so she goes to the only person she believes can solve this problem. She goes to Elisha, who is a prophet of God and has performed miracles in the past. So she goes to him, tells him the scenario. She says, "She says your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. She goes to him. She's like, she's all in. She's trying. She's like, all right, how can I talk to Elisha to get him to listen to me? Uh, she knew my husband. He revered the Lord. He's super spiritual, very special. She goes up to him and says, now his creditor is coming after me, and he's going to take my kids and put them in slavery. She's trying. She put it all out there. She's vulnerable with Elisha, and he responds to her. And I think it's helpful. Before I give you the response, you've seen it, but before I give you the response, I think it's helpful to note uh, that often we take our problems to God with expectations about how God's going to work. We say, God, bless me, bless me, bless me. And often God's reply to us is counterintuitive. It's a little different than we would have expected from God. We say, bless me, we expect God to bless me. But often we, when we say, God, bless me, God says, I'm going to do it a little bit differently than you would expect. The same happens here with Elisha. She goes to him, gives him her problem, and he responds with, how can I help you? Now, it's funny, right? Like, if I'm the woman... I'm not, but, but if I go to somebody who I believe can help me, you perform miracles on other people. Many of us go to God the same way. I saw how you blessed that person. I saw how you blessed that person. I saw how you blessed me in the past. Now I have expectations of you blessing me right now. We go to the Lord with expectation about what he'll do, and then he kind of responds in some ways with a question. And right here, Elisha says, how can I help you? Which would really tick me off if I'm the woman. Bro, I just told you. I told you all my stuff, and I know you can help me. Why are you asking me this question? But he doesn't stop. He continues in his response. He says, how can I help you? And then he asks her a question, a better question, a more specific question, because she's asking him for a blessing. And he asks her, what do you have in your house? It reminds me of a situation in the New Testament where Jesus is about to feed 5,000 people. uh, But before that happens, his disciples have this moral conundrum and very difficult situation where they're like, oh my gosh, these guys have been out here for three days. They haven't eaten any food. We got to send them back. And they go to Jesus asking him if they can send them back to town so they can buy their own food. And it's almost as if Jesus knew the return rates of people after COVID or something like that. Because he's like, they're not going nowhere. He says, you feed them. And the disciples talk amongst themselves and they're like all frustrated, like, you kidding me? They're all messed up. They're talking about Jesus is illogical. This doesn't make any sense. How are we going to feed all of these people with so little bread? In fact, we don't have any bread. How are we going to do any of this stuff? And they're doing this in front of Jesus. Jesus recognizes and he tells them two more things. He says, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And what we recognize in that situation, very similar to this widow here, they hadn't taken inventory of the things that they already had. And for many of us, we're going and asking God for more, more, more. God, here's where I want to be. Here's where I am. In this gap is the blessing of the Lord, and I want you to fill that gap. And the Lord is looking at us like, bro. I already blessed you with this. I already blessed you with these people. I've already abundantly provided for you, but you're not seeing it because you're not looking for it. And I want to ask you the same question. This will be my first point. God will use what you have. So go look. Think about what God has already blessed you with. If we would spend more time grateful for what God's already provided and less time asking him for what he could possibly provide, I think we'd be a much more happy people. We would live from a perspective of abundance. We'd be like Paul in Philippians chapter four. He said, I've learned to be content in any and every circumstance, regardless of whether I have plenty, regardless of whether I have little, I'm good. And he says in a different text, 2 Corinthians, his grace is sufficient for me in any time of weakness. Paul recognizes that because God has already worked in my life, I'm solid and I can be abundant so I don't have to stress out about what I don't have. And what I want you to know is that you have enough. The disciples had five loaves and two fish, but they hadn't looked for it. They had to go steal it from some little kid. Hey, hey, when you look and you find it, I don't, what would that conversation look like with the little kid? Probably took a little consideration. They walk up, said, where'd this kid get all that bread? Hey, bro, picture a grown Peter talking to a kid. I don't know how old he was. Where did he get all this stuff? He's like, hey, we kind of need to use this stuff. That was a whole conversation that had to happen. But many of us, we resist the full conversation, and we don't even go look to see what God has blessed us with. So I came up with a little list because many of us in America, we're like the, the, the top wealthy nation in the world, yet we struggle with scarcity when we are more abundant than everyone else. So here's a list of what I have in my house. And, and you can say amen to this. Preachers don't make a lot of money, do they? Not in comparison to some people. So here's just what I have. Some of you have more. Some of you have the same. Maybe a few of you have less. But here's what's in my house. Because God will use what you have to bless you and to bless others, to give you happiness, to make you feel abundant, to give you gratitude. He will use what you have. But if you never recognize what you have, you're going to still feel scarce. And scarcity is a cycle you don't want to be in because it gets you into a place where you never feel happy. So Here's what I have in my house. I got cable, direct TV. I don't, I mean, some of y'all do though. I got rid of that a long time ago. Multiple TVs, furniture, old furniture, vehicles owned, leased, paying off, uh, toys for adults, kids toys, phones, old phones, drawers full of chargers and other electronics that I haven't used in a long time. I got subscriptions, Hulu, Netflix, Disney Plus, HBO Max. I'm it's Max now. It's not HBO anymore. Peacock, Paramount Plus, Amazon Prime, Stars, NFL Sunday Ticket, MLB Access. I don't have those two because I don't want to pay for them. But some of you have them. Um, pickleball stuff, golf clubs, random equipment for that podcast. You're gonna start one day. Camping equipment that you never use. Frisbee, golf stuff. Some of y'all got boats in Arizona. Uh, you got summer clothes, winter clothes, dress clothes, beach clothes, sleep clothes, old clothes, work clothes. Maybe when I lose weight, clothes, giveaway clothes, and. And don't don't even get me started on your shoe game. Some of y'all spending $200 on shoes. There ain't nothing wrong with that. But you got them. You got them. Blum, blum, blessed. you got them. And we got plenty of olive oil, coconut oil, sesame oil, grass seed oil, avocado oil, baby oil, and even essential oils. This woman, she's got a little olive oil. She's in a dire situation. Yet Elisha has the gall. To say, what do you have in your house? You come to me stressed out about your life. What do you have in your house? Have you looked? Have you considered how God has blessed you? Because God fully intends when he blesses you with something to use what he has blessed you with in order to accomplish his purposes in you and through you. God has blessed us. I won't just be on you. He's blessed me. He has blessed us. But why do we see where he hasn't blessed us all the time? We've got to shift from scarcity to abundance because he has blessed us so abundantly. Uh, And the disciples, they find this kid's bread and loaves. They take it and it's not enough, but they found what they had. And when they took what they had and brought it to Jesus, it was more than enough. And so you might have less than somebody else down the street, down your row. You might have less than somebody else and think you need more. But what I want you to know is that whatever you have, if you take inventory of it and bring it to your creator, he will bless it abundantly so that it becomes enough for you. And in some cases, more than enough to accomplish what he wants you to accomplish. Don't say I'm blessed or I'm not blessed when you're sitting here in excess. Don't say that. And I'm saying that to you guys. I want you to feel like like, I'm not saying it to myself because I am. Like, like so often I wake up and I think about all that I'm lacking. But in Christ Jesus, I, I genuinely lack nothing of what I need, at least. And so, man, when he has blessed us, shift your posture to where you look more at the blessing than you do at what you lack. That's your first step to get to a mindset of abundance that really is, I think, the heart of of generosity, my second point: He'll not only use what you have, but he'll use who you have. If you go back to the text, it says this in verse three. It says uh, Elisha said, "Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to the side. And then she left him, and afterwards she shut all the doors and did the whole miraculous thing. But in this moment, how does? God, through Elisha, tell this woman to operate. He tells her to look at what she has. We find out she has a little bit of oil. Then he tells her to take jars from the people in her community so that she can fill them with oil. What does that mean? Because I don't want to allegorize this text and, and make it mean something it doesn't mean. What it means to me is that in this moment, the way that God chose to work is to utilize what she had And who she had. God will use who you have. God put people around you on purpose so that they could encourage you. God put people around you on purpose so that you could encourage them. God put people in this room together so that they could be knitted together as the church body. And bless one another as we attend and gather. Bless one another in small groups. Bless one another financially when it's relevant. God has put us all together on purpose so that we could accomplish his purposes. And God's not going to do it just through you. God wants to incorporate the people around you. And so many of us, we become almost isolationist as individuals. We're so individualistic in our society. Back then it was different. This woman was in a small community. Her husband died. She's probably on a first name basis with every single person in her village. And they know she usually has olive oil. So I'm probably going to get some olive oil from her. They would have known each other because they were kind of a, a connected society, but we're in a different type of society. And we have become so isolationist, so individualistic that we refuse to rely on other people, that we refuse to be a blessing to other people. But what the Bible communicates to us is that God wants to use those around you to be a part of the blessing that will both bless you and others. Think of the disciples in the New Testament, same passage. It wasn't the disciples who provided the bread and and the fish. It was someone who was there some kid who was there. God wants to use what you have, and he wants to use who you have. I'm saying this to somebody who came in here for the first time today, and you've been doing life on your own. There's no point in doing life on your own. It's not beneficial to you. The way that God wants you to live your life is in community with other people who are pursuing Christ Jesus. He wants to use those around you. Everybody look to your left real quick. You're not, you'll see the back of someone's head, all right? Everybody look to your right. You're going to see the back of somebody else's head. Or like if it's you, you're going to see the wall, right? My point is there are people in this room that God intentionally placed you in the vicinity of so that you could either be blessed or be a blessing. Some of you have an encouraging word for somebody else, but you're scared to say it. God wants you to say it. Uh, Some of you need to receive that encouraging word rather than saying, "Ah, that person was weird. You know, you need to be in a place where you recognize God wants to use what you have. and He wants to use who you have. It's interesting to me um, because God tells Elisha to tell this woman that she's to borrow jars from all of her neighbors. And the, the, the assumption, yeah, you know, we know this, right? She's going to fill those jars with oil and sell them back to the community. Now, it will be a blessing to the community, but ultimately that income will be a blessing to her. So Elisha tells her, take inventory of what you have. Take inventory of the people around you and see who you can borrow that jar from. And this is when the miracle begins. So I want to read the rest of this passage one more time. Here's what it says in verse 5. She left Elisha and afterwards shut the door behind her and her sons. They went to all the neighbors. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. She's like the DJ Khaled of jars. But he replied, "There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what's left. Now, I want to reduce any confusion someone might have, because I'm talking about oil, which is a, a, a commodity in the ancient world that she could have sold at a price. The oil was not the blessing in itself. The oil was what was in her inventory. And what she did in that moment was she listened to God through Elisha. She took inventory, found that she had a commodity that was beneficial to the rest of the community. Then she went to the people that God had placed in her vicinity, asked her sons, asked them for jars. She brought the jars and started to pour oil. Now she had only a little oil, but since she had a scarcity mindset, we don't know. I, I, I personally think, I know it was a miracle, but I personally think she hadn't really taken inventory of how much oil she had. Only got a little oil. Some of y'all, y'all have more than you think you do. And when you take inventory, you start to recognize that God has already blessed you with more than enough. Now, the beauty of this situation, let's just assume she's fully accurate. She had only a little oil. What was cool was when she did what God called her to do and the jars were coming in, she was able to fill jar after jar, after jar, after jar. And when she filled those jars, she wasn't immediately out of this debt slavery dire situation she was in. She had just filled the jars. Now, when she filled the jars, she went and sold them to the rest of the people in the community, which provided the money she would have needed to pay the debts. Here's where that's relevant. When God blessed her, what she had to do first was take the resource that she had more than enough of and get rid of it to bless the other people in the community. And then she was able to keep the remainder. What does that mean? It means that often God will bless us by the fact that we have given it out. What is it that Paul says? He says, I have become a drink offering. Paul says, In Romans, he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. I say all of that to say this, that God wants you when you are blessed to use that specific blessing to be a blessing to other people. And so my last point right here is that God does not want you to waste the blessing. You see what happens here is that this woman took all of the oil, put it into these jars. And when the jars were done, Then the oil stopped flowing. So she took all that she had, put it right there in front of the Lord, and he made it just enough. I found in my own life that often, sometimes he does bless me abundantly beyond what I could have asked or imagined, right? Sometimes that happens. But very often, God blesses me with exactly what I need in order to accomplish his will. What do you see with the Israelites? You see that he blessed them with manna from heaven. And how much manna did they get, anyone? Enough for that day except for on Sabbath. They got two, right? Right before that. How does he bless people? He blessed them with water from a rock. I don't know how much they were able to get, but I know they had to go grab it and then bring it back to their household. It was enough for them. He blessed them with quail. We see in the New Testament that God regularly blesses people, but often the way that he blesses people is not with some crazy amounts of abundance, but with just enough to accomplish what they're called to accomplish. God doesn't want to waste. Anyone in here agree that God's a good businessman? Now, if I were a messenger of the Lord and I went into your house or I went into your community and I was assessing, I used to be an auditor, by the way, so technically I'd be really good at this process. And I were assessing for the Lord, not for me, right? If I were assessing for the Lord, whether you are stewarding the blessing that God has already lavished on you, what would the report be? Would you be stewarding the blessing that God has already lavished on you as an American citizen in Phoenix, Arizona, one of the highest uh, costs of properties in the country? Or would you be maybe not stewarding well the blessing that he has? Which would it be for you? Because I think God's a good businessman. And what God wants to do is to not waste his blessing. And so when he lavishes us with blessing, he is calling us to do what he wants us to do with that very blessing. If he's given you stuff, use it for his purposes. If he's given you a community of people, connect with that community so that you can accomplish his purposes. Because if God's a good businessman, then what he wants to do is invest properly into those who were effectively steward that which he has given them. God does not want waste. And with this woman in the ancient world, He stopped the pouring when she stopped the bringing of jars, and then she sold it. She got to keep what was left and utilize it to live on. And for many of us, I think we find ourselves, let's just say this cup is you, right? It might not be you, but for the statistics, it probably is. And um, we ask God for the blessing. Say, God bless me, God bless me. We all want a blessing from the Lord. We ask God to bless us, and he blesses us. He blessed us with that whole list of stuff that I got in my house, he blessed us with a mom or a dad. He blessed us with a community of people around us. He blessed us with his grace that's sufficient for us in any, or in every weakness that we have. He helps us in areas that we never could have thought that he would help us in. He's given us a gifting that's utilized. He has given us so much, and we keep asking, and we keep asking. I know Pastor John's stressing out right now because it's overflowing. He keeps blessing us. David says in the Psalms, he says, my cup runneth over, and our cup runneth over with the blessing of the Lord, and we keep getting it, and we keep getting it, and we keep getting it. Yet, because of our scarcity mentality, we never give it. We never share it. We never do what God's called us to do with it. Second service, so I can get a little bit wetter, but I might run out of water here, right? We are blessed beyond imagination, Yet when someone says we're called to to give of our tithes and our offerings, yet when someone says we're called to give an encouraging word to someone who's broken in their spirit, yet when God calls us to go overseas and be a missionary, or when God calls us to be nice to people that we think are weird, whatever it might be, when God calls us to give of ourselves as a drink offering so that his purposes might be accomplished through you for them, we struggle because of this scarcity mindset— We're blessed, but we're stressed. But God wants us to recognize that we're blessed, living in excess, so that we can then bless others. Now, here's the other scenario, because God's a good businessman, and that's a lot of waste. But what if we receive blessing from God? We say, God, I recognize that everything I have comes from you. Everything good comes from God. Everything in my household, every person that's around me. God, I'm going to live my life in perpetual gratitude because you have called me to love and honor you. And I get to participate in the miracle of life transformation. My cup's not half empty, it's half full. It's filled to the brim. My cup doesn't run, my cup isn't running over right now. Um, Because what I'm going to do, because I recognize how God has blessed me, is I'm going to take that blessing and I'm going to pour myself out as a drink offering. Literally, this could be a drink. It's water, right? It's a drink offering. I'm going to pour it out. But the difficulty of pouring out into someone else is you're kind of emptying yourself. But here's what God does. He's a good businessman. And because our cup needs replenishing, he'll replenish us. But the expectation is that when we're replenished, we fill others. We use our resources. We use our relationships so that God's will might be accomplished in this world so that people may know Jesus in this valley. And when we empty ourselves out, Paul says again, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. It's not you're radical, you're crazy, you're ridiculous. It's not your unreasonable act of worship. He says it's a reasonable act of worship to lay myself down for the greater purpose of the good news of Jesus being spread. Oop, it's empty. And as it pours, though I might be emptied, I fill somebody else. And I got to ask you this question. The scarcity mindset, we're blessed, but our cup runs over and we've not blessed others. And the nature of that is we haven't really even enjoyed the blessing that came in addition to what we've been hoarding. So I need to ask you this question. Who was more blessed? The person who gave or the person who only received? The way the blessing of God works is he wants to funnel his blessing through you to other people. And when you receive it and then share it, you receive more and then you share it. You receive more and then you share it. But if we are scarce, we are holding that which God has given us. And it's not bad to have a blessing from God. But what is a struggle and keeps you in a negative mindset is the fact that you're not receiving it with gratitude and immediately dispersing it to those who need it. But the heart of generosity comes from a posture of abundance because even if i have nothing physically still filled to the brim spiritually because it's grace if nothing else is sufficient and there's some people in here you need to shift your posture i need to shift mine for sure you need to shift your posture from a place where you feel like you can't give encouragement where you feel like you can't give financially, where you feel like you can't do anything because you're so strapped by your concerns. And you got to shift to where you recognize that what you have is meant for a greater purpose than holding it. Jesus tells a parable of a man who stored all the stuff that he had been blessed with in a storehouse. And then that night, his life was taken from him. And the implication is that when we hoard what God has handed us, it falls into disuse. Don't be someone who hoards it. Be someone who hands it off to others. And there are people in here, you desperately need to shift that posture and have one of gratitude that will produce abundance. You're no longer looking at what they have. You're feeling great about what you have. And there are other people in here, you're struggling with this entire message because you haven't had a personal relationship with Jesus. And I want to help you recognize this, that when you trust in Jesus, the Bible says when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. And when you are saved, you now have a different perspective. The Bible says that we've been sealed when we're saved, sealed by the Holy Spirit into an eternity with God in heaven. And recognition that you have eternity with God in heaven completely and radically shifts the way that I operate here on earth. so for those of you who need to trust in Jesus, I wanna give you a basic template, a prayer to God that would align your thoughts to his. You might pray something like this. Everybody's head bowed and eyes closed. God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I believe he died on the cross and rose from the grave. Father, forgive me of my sins. Make me a new creation, and I will follow you all the days of my life. Head still bowed. There are some of you in this room. You desperately need to shift your posture, and I'm going to tell you this. It is hard to shift your posture, but the way that you do it is meditating on God's Word, and as you meditate on His Word, think on the things that are true, right, honorable, pure, lovely, and of good repute. The peace of God will come into your life and give you gratitude gratitude which will enable you to shift your posture from scarcity to abundance. God, I pray that you would make that shift for people in this room right now. Give them clarity on the specific area that that relates to. God, be with them right now. Reveal yourself to them. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and all God's people said, amen.